Hi, this is Frank Schaefer. I have had the pleasure of talking to some of the leading authors, artists, activists, and change makers of our time on this podcast. And I want to personally thank you for subscribing, listening, and sharing 100 plus episodes over 100,000 times. We have a lot of work to do to heal our divisions and secure our democracy. And I look forward to more conversations with those important voices that will bring clarity to the situation we find ourselves in as we move toward November of 2024. If you appreciate these conversations and my cultural and political commentary, please subscribe to this podcast in conversation with Frank Schaefer on your favorite platform and to my substack, It Has to Be Said, which can be found at frankschaefer.substack.com. I'd really appreciate the help. Thank you. Kitchen is the only place that I know of where you have to be mindful because you have to be safe. But it's also cooking for purpose mm. of caring for other people and connecting with your story. You, you have to be careful, but you're also thinking who is coming. Okay, we are live on Facebook. And I am talking with my friend, chef, and life coach, and very old friend of mine, Samir. And um, I've stayed with Samir in his New York apartment often in Harlem. And he and his family have visited me in my home here in Massachusetts. And we're going to have a wide-ranging discussion about everything from what Samir does to my new book coming out that Samir's organizing some stuff for. I go back with Samir many years. Uh, we first met at uh, an event that some of you know about called the Wild Goose Festival that both of us were in at the very, very beginning. And Samir and I shared a ride in a car from an airport with somebody to this festival started by our friend Gareth Higgins, who um, is later going to be teaching a course based on my new book, by the way, which will be very cool. You can sign up for that, but it's way early. We're going to tell you about it on all my sites later. This is on Facebook Live. It will also be podcast. This is Conversation with Frank Schaefer. It's available on several podcast venues where you find your podcast. It's also going to be uh, offered again on Facebook and on YouTube in terms of a recording of this. So if you miss it or you want to tell someone, please like our channels, both mine and Samir's. Anyway, Samir, first of all, will you please tell me about what you have been doing recently with this cooking and life coaching all combined? It's kind of an unusual combination, life coaching and cooking. Give us a thumbnail sketch about what you do every day, and then we'll dig into your past and how you got there and everything else. But let me just tell everybody, I'm a huge Samir fan. Uh, you will find that out in about 10 seconds if you read my new book, uh, Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet. Be Happy, where I have a lengthy quote from Samir at the very beginning, uh, which I will thumb to and read at some point during this interview, because it really gives you an insight into what a beautiful, literate, and amazingly poetic man Samir is. Um, I heard back from an early reader, and the first thing she said to me, this was actually the editor of Hodders and Stoughton, which is a great UK publishing company. She's reading my book, even though they're not the publishers. The first thing she did was cut and paste your quote from the PDF I'd sent her as just jumping out at her. And she put a huge capitalized yes afterwards with a big exclamation point. So 
I was interested that the first thing someone grabbed out of my book was a big quote from you. So maybe next time you just write the book and, and uh, it, it'll do <laughs> I think, well, you instigated that. We had a conversation about it. And then uh, you said, write it down, write it down and send it to me, write it down. And then yeah. I'm like, yeah, I will, I will. And then you texted me and like, I'm serious. And yeah, then yeah I, I was serious. And, I'm and then find... I told my family, hold on for dinner. I, I'm going to be like 10 minutes late. I'm just going to write this down and exactly. send it to Frank. So well, I'm going to I'm going to find this because it, it, uh, in a few minutes we're going to read it but okay I found that but we'll do that later but right now tell me about yourself. Yeah, I have been, you know, uh, I grew up in East Europe, you know, in a between like a Christian, Muslim and atheist forces and stories and if you live in Balkans, you know, uh, you realize how stories are important and how history is important, everything matters and um, and to understand, you know, life there, you got to live there for 500 years. And since nobody can live for 500 years, you never understand it. There's a lot of right. things in life are like that. Life is just too short. Yeah. And then, um, then I uh, came to United States, and uh, you know, after finishing engineering school, I came to United States and decided to do MDiv, which is went to the seminary for three years. And it was awesome and wonderful. But looking back now, that's one of my regrets in life of, of, of wasting so much time um, on on about 20 courses that I should have never taken and stuff I could have learned <laughs> during that time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, one thing led to another. I was a pastor in different churches and then um, uh, left, uh, you know, that kind of organized religion for good reason, I think, and then became a... Um, interfaith activist. We started a congregation where imam, uh, you know, priest and a, uh, and a rabbi would be on staff. Um, it's called Faith House Manhattan and worked for a couple of years on that and finally landed at Georgetown University at the Institute for Transformational Leadership and finished my uh, uh, postgraduate coursework for uh, coaching, leadership coaching. And then I've been doing that since, you know, uh, hosting retreats, and things like that. And what really fascinates is what my riddle is, is that to no, is normalizing human transformation. We have made an industry out of it and made it very complicated and serious. Uh, it started first with religion. But bringing it down to daily life, to the sanctuary of ordinary life, mm. um, I th that's what I'm interested in. I feel like you know, cooking is one of those things that started with priests, of all, they were called magueros, the priests and cooks and butchers. So, the, because they were dealing with magic, sort of, they were first alchemists, and um, and cooking is a is a place where first storytelling started. You know, you write in your book how we had big brains, right? Mm. We have big brains, and we were able to grow brains because we were able to treat food, process it, heat it and consume enough calories so we can have a moment of being bored instead of foraging and hunting all the time. Hmm. And we were around the fire and we started having memories and plans and, and narratives started with actually human capacity to create, uh, to, to cook, hmm. right? And it's a first place of, of stories of meaning that happens around the table. And then, you know, you take it from there, every religion, you know, I mean, even in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, you know, Jesus says, um, I stand in the no door and cook. 
and if you and knock and if and you are supposed to be cooking because he says when I come in I'll eat with you. Yeah. He doesn't say I'll give you solutions. I will give you theology. We're gonna have worship together. We're gonna go deep. No, I'll sit down, and we'll eat. And that's where the relation ends. That's it. I mean, you can take cooking away, put parenting, put gardening, put walking, put dressing up, put yeah. cleaning dishes, anything. And and that's what I'm really excited about is seeing the world differently. Yeah. Uh, one one thing is, ha- having stayed with you and, and eaten your cooking there and on the road when we traveled together in Vote Common Good, which was this group you helped found and, and I was in on the beginning of two as we went around the country with people like Representative Ted Lieu that I've interviewed on this mm-hmm. conversation with Frank Schaefer. And uh, Ted helped us by connecting us with a lot of political leaders. You were very involved in that. Um, and we were both out there speaking. You would do some cooking when we were on the road. You also do a lot at home. And as you know, I cook too. I do most of the cooking in our home. We don't go out very often and, and we both cook. Um, so we both found ourselves in the position of doing uh, household work that traditionally, actually not traditionally when you go back in time, but in Western culture, in modern 20th century and 21st America, traditionally has been a sort of a more female activity. Um, and of course, if you go back in history, that's nonsense because cooking was a communal activity and everybody shared it in the hunter-gatherer period and then forward into our own times. But um, that role of being the person who prepares the meal is very pastoral because, it, 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 for instance, I cook for my grandchildren just about every day. I feed them in the evenings. Jeannie and I do all the childcare for them. There, there's nothing I enjoy more um, and the only part of cooking I don't enjoy is if I'm just cooking for myself. When when it's shared with other people, it's a form of, of love that I don't think is paralleled by almost anything else for me anyway. Preparing mm-hmm. a meal, you know, preparing a meal. The only thing that's one better than that is when I go out in my garden here and I pick the food that I planted with those kids in the spring and then we cook it. Mm. I think both of us have a really treasure that experience of sharing through these homemaking efforts, at least speaking for myself. And I know you do a lot with this too in, in your podcasts and in your sh- the, the cooking you do online and the rest of it. How does that fit in with your counseling of people who are looking for ways to really connect with others and with themselves more deeply than simply job and career and money? How does all that homemaking and cooking relate to what you tell people? Yeah, I mean, it relates, uh, you know, it, it has so many parallels, I don't know even where to begin. I, I, I feel someday, you know, I'm going to list all thousand reasons for it. Because um, our first, it goes from like a depth psychology to, to mindfulness, to storytelling. You know, kitchen is, an, is, is a place where we, where we uh, make decisions, a place where our connections work with other people. It is a place uh, where we have five sense situation of mindfulness practice. So you don't have to, for a meditation, go in a car, drive for 20 minutes, go in some room with other people and conjure artificial place in which you need to meditate. You can do that with your carrot, right? So that whole training in mindfulness is way more versatile uh, and way more connected with your daily life, economy of your daily life, politics, aesthetics, mm. uh, uh, 
your bodily engagement, your family relationship, your friendships, everything is connected. And if you practice mindfulness there, you're practicing not separate from life, but immersed in life itself. Mm-hmm. So that's one one thing. Also, you know, our brains, you write a lot about your book about uh, like how our brains work. And one of the things that, that we know is that brains toggle between being fully present in moment or telling a story or making up what we're going to say when we listen to another person. And that's why we either listen or we're preparing our answer, right? Yes. So act of listening to each other is an act of trust, basically, of separating yourself from the story that is going on in your head, right? That's a huge human skill, right? And usually, I mean, not usually, it's a toggle mind. we either present or we're making up the story. And roughly Eastern and Western spiritual traditions are based... On, on those two things. Western is story-based and Eastern is based on presence and mindfulness. Yeah. And so, kitchen is the only place that I know of where you have to be mindful because you have to be safe. But it's also cooking for purpose mm. of caring for other people and connecting with your story. You, you have to be careful, but you're also thinking who is coming. Right? So it's really a mystical place. If you get into the flow, nothing brings those two parts of you, all of your physical body and your story, in, in the same place yes. as, as Kitchen does. I'll, I'll, I mean, other things do, obviously, but, uh, but it's an it's a art that is also, a, a, it is also a part of ordinary life. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I find that doing this childcare, Lucy's 12 now, Jack is 10 and Nora is seven, but I've cared along with Jeannie with these three children since they were born. And then I have two older grandchildren who are in their 20s. And then, of course, my own kids are all grown. I have a son that's 50. This is what happens when you get your girlfriend pregnant when you're 17 and she's 18. Mm -hmm. Now Jeannie and I have been together 51 years, but our daughter uh, had her kids fairly young as well, not as crazily young as us. And then our youngest son has had these younger children. But I have found that teaching them to cook and then cooking with them, especially food that we've gardened ourselves. So Nora goes out and pulls the carrots up and comes in and then washes mm-hmm. them off in the rain bar and then peels them. She planted those. Uh, yesterday we were making focaccia, you know, that Italian bread with yeah. oil and salt. And I, ha- I took a picture that I think I posted. I can't remember if I posted it or not, where all their hands are patting down. I did a little video where all their hands are patting down the dough. And you can see all these hands coming in. And in a way, that little piece of video symbolizes everything that is in this book of mine that I've written. And that I think you're doing in what you present. And by the way, let's just take a time out here to say that people are interested in following you and getting some counseling from you. We're going to post all that, but just say for a moment, let's take a minute and talk about how folks get in touch with you for your counseling and direction, but also to follow these programs you're doing. Yeah, I mean, just my first and last name.com, samirselmanovic.com. And also mysticturn.com. I'm looking at it on a blackboard behind you. Yeah, yeah. So that's one way to go about other way is to just go to my first and last name.com. And that's where I have programs for, um, you know, uh, coaching and, and, and leadership and things like that. Uh, including the kitchenhood, uh, which is a word for like a sisterhood, brotherhood, neighborhood, uh, kitchenhood. Kitchen is like a 
like a wormhole that connects people across cultures, yeah. times. Um, Hi, this is Frank Schaefer. If you appreciate my cultural and political commentary, please do me a favor and subscribe to my Substack, It Has to Be Said, which can be found at frankschaefer.substack.com. You can subscribe for free or you can kick in a couple of dollars a month and help me out and help me keep this going if you're able. Either way, I'm incredibly grateful for your support and most of all for your participation. We have a lot of work to do to heal our divisions and secure our democracy as we move toward November of 2024. And every subscription helps create, build, sustain, and put voice to this movement for truth. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I- In terms of the kind of advice you give people, I just want to interject and then we'll get back to you telling them how to get in touch with you. Here's this quote that I've got, um, a quote that I've got by you uh, in here. And I just need to find it. But in the meantime, while I'm leafing through and finding this, yeah, here it is. Um, I wrote you a question. <laughs> what about those of us who have missed the boat in terms of some aspect of our lives we wish had been different? Well, that's me, who was too harsh with my children and have learned to be a much better parent with my grandchildren. Those of us who have fallen off the wagon, it could be any kind of wagon we've fallen off, cut down by injustice or blind fate. Here's what you emailed back to me. Mystics have been custodians of a superpower that every human being has, bridging the inner and outer world and learning to experience life that is larger than our own. This can happen in an instant. Suddenly our neighbor's kids become our own. I miss the artist caravan, but looking at your paintings, I exclaim, look at us artists. Portals to our un lived lives are all around us. You did not have children. Let me tell you about my daughters. They are beautiful and powerful and they are yours too. I have never had a chance to care for my parents in their old age. May I help you with yours? The moment I allow my heart to feel this void to have this conversation, a miracle occurs, past, present and future collide. This crazy shit makes people lose their minds only to become sane for the first time. Of course, we belong to each other. So you have missed the boat, fell off the wagon, and were cut down. What has, where has your love gone? It has gone to those children playing while you were working, walking by. It has gone to causes your life has never given an opportunity to understand. It is going to the grass that will grow from your body soon enough. If you want to, before you go, you have an entire lifespan ahead of you. Take a mystic jailbreak. You are way more than just the quote you you think you are i just think that's brilliant it was worth writing my whole book to get that quote by you in it and all i can say is is that in reading that um in terms of life counseling i mean that's that qualifies you to give advice because i think that's one of the wisest things i've ever read and it's not by me well, it's by you in my book makes me look good <laughs> Well, I'm 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 so, I'm so glad, and it's usually things uh, that we say are much more shaped by a listener. Uh, you say same thing to a different listener, you will say it completely different. It's actually mm -hmm. the gift of listening that shapes what we say. So it's much less about what we say about about much more about listener. I wouldn't be able to write this to some other person mm. so easily. Uh, it's because you asked, and I like I give it. You know, I put it out. Out that and it's so it's with all of us um, yeah 
that that I, I, I learned that it's very important who you surround yourself with to have a conversation with. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that concept of um, of uh, inner and outer world. So you know, whatever is in our bodies, whatever we feel, who we are is us, right? Mm. And whatever is outside of our bodies is us. Both are me. And the question is, do I spend my life uh, uh, preparing myself for my death and my glorious act of disappearance of me into me? Or I, I just neglect that, that life is so sh passing and I don't pay attention to it. And I come to this kind of like a drop off on my deathbed, mm. you know, shocked that this is happening. No, disappearance is as glorious as the birth. You know, uh, it is just a part of how we belong to the world and the world belongs to us. It's the ultimate, you know, fulfillment of our beautiful need to belong and our beautiful need to become, right? So it's another turn that happens. And, uh, and I think I, I observe people who are capable of um, uh, playing with these boundaries. You know, it's not easy to play with that boundary because the world is often not safe, you know. Yeah. But even if it's not safe, you've got to learn to trust it. It doesn't matter if it's safe or not. It's not safe, but you have to trust it. Mm. Like that's a skill to be able to, to do that and, and know that ultimately, yes, you're going to perish and it's going to be hard. But world and your life is on your side. And the proof that is on your side that you are right here and you are breathing. For us to be here, it took thousands of generations of love, of people falling in love with one another, making families, working hard, another generation, another generation, another generation, passing on the language and all the love they have down to the years, all the way to our birth and all the way to all the free lunches. Who says we don't have free lunches for first part of our lives that we're giving to us with all this love life is invested in me it's not an enemy territory mm, it's I, not i love that i love that and you know one of the things that has meant so much to me about that passage that i read from uh from my book is that by you uh, a long quote um is that I, there are so many deficits in my own life that i bring to the table in my marriage in my fatherhood and my grandparenthood and my ability for friendship and um, I'll, I'll give you an example with Jeannie. You know, I'm very sort of over-caffeinated as my granddaughter Nora tells me, who's seven. <laughs> she looks at me when I'm in a bad mood and she says to me, Ba, you're over-caffeinated today. <laughs> and of course I say, yeah, I had too much coffee, but I don't tell her as, look, I'm always over-caffeinated. Talk to my wife, Jeannie, and, uh, this has worked for 51 years. But the thing is, what I loved about what you wrote and what is so true is that we not only can be inspired by other people and nature and all of these things around us, but we can borrow from them and make it ours. So it's look, I'm over caffeinated. I drive too hard. I'm married to a woman who knows how to live much better than me mm -hmm. and at a, at a different pace. And so her pace can just be mine. This will be a genie day. We will go at that pace here or your whole thing about someone without a child. Okay. I have daughters get to, you know, these are our children. This is a human community. So that one of the things I talk about in the book is you don't have to be gay, straight, non-binary, ma male, female, gender, race, and all these other things to be a parent. 
We are all right. parents of each other. You are one of my fathers. You're one of my brothers. You're my mother. You care for me when we're in that relationship. I feel the same about you. I don't have to have been a parent to have experienced being parented by my friend Samir uh, or have even had a father or mother I knew because I've got you for one of my parents, if I can put it in that sense of caring. And I just think what you wrote and what we both live by, this code of parenting, as it were, which is not gender specific and certainly sexual orientation has nothing to do with it. This is the bottom line. And I love that idea of the grace of the thousands of generations, but it's thousands of generations of not even necessarily literal parenting. You know, it's the great, great grandfather. Exactly. We never will meet, but who shared something with them. Yeah, I mean, when, when we, you know, when we come to this world, I mean, we, we learn from Freud kind of scratched on it, but actually it was years later that we realized, you know, through this object relations that uh, we develop really fast and our brain is like uh, way way more active than any other time it grows it doubles itself in a year uh, uh, many more synapses are active than when you get older actually your synapses are kind of shrink so it's it's just all light up right because you have arrived to this world and you are wondering what is heck is going on here right can this be trusted how will I survive I have come from traumatic experience of separation from my mother and now what is this going what's going to happen and you're asking am I safe and you're asking can the world be trusted and the first notion that you have that outside world is actually on your side mm. is in the kitchen clinging to your mother's you know leg yeah and and she's bringing outside world through the door and father and mother bringing and treating that uh, that that matter that is coming from outside, putting it in your mouth, mm -hmm. you are, it's actually becoming you. The outside world is literally you are creating yourself through your mouth, mm -hmm. right? And you start trusting that outside world because the care of parents, of the village, of the of 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 economy and productivity, everything that is happening is actually bringing you into existence. Yes, right. It's a it's experience we will we never forget. We know that we that the world is taking care of us because we are here. Yes. And uh, and I really really love in your book when you say uh, when you say like I'm kind of done with looking for purpose of my life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's I I am here with Nora. Yeah. You know, and and I it. Our world is upset. We are all obsessed so much with seeking this, this purpose of life. And I'm like, give it a break. I do this because I'm here. Yeah. Just because I'm here. Yeah. Because I have this opportunity to be here. And, and I have obligation to be here, to pay attention, to participate in something yeah. greater than me. I don't have to figure out everything. I just need to let myself be part of things. Mm. Right? Yeah, and, very much so. And, and a point picking up from what you were saying before about this sort of generational line, a, a very dear friend of mine, one of my very best friends, like me, has had some difficult experiences with their parents. Mine were evangelical leaders, kind of put the family second um, to go do big things for God. Um, I eventually left that fold, as people who read my book or other books will know. 
you have a sort of estrangement with your family, but let's just say worst case scenario, your parents were abusive. Now mine uh, were not, unless you count physical discipline, which at that time everybody took for granted, but, um, or abusive or abandon you or hurt you in some way. The fact is the reason you're here, whether they individually dropped the ball or not, or you had an abusive husband or mother or a father who beat you, or you were abandoned, um, nevertheless, somewhere back in that great generational human line, people didn't drop, drop the ball or we wouldn't even be here. So that the faithlessness we've experienced mm -hmm. is not only the individual relationships we have with parents we know or lovers we knew or that abandoned us or whatever it is. There's a faithfulness that we know is there through an entire existence going back thousands and thousands of years and generations or we wouldn't have been here. Any one group that dropped the ball did not save you when you fell in the river, did not feed you or a great-great-grandparent when they were little, did not get you through that war-torn country. People we will never know. Somebody in a hunter-gatherer tribe looked out for someone you're related to, and you're here because of that person. So even when we have lost mm. the joy of the relationships we have immediately in front of us, that should not lead to cynicism about everything. We have a chance to pick up the, the thread. And so we can, we can say, okay, that was my generational curse. You know, here's what happened to me. I don't have to do this to the next group of people that I'm in touch with. I can revert to this wonderful stream of faithfulness that is the only reason I draw breath now because someone did not drop the ball even if I never knew them. I love that. And you know, and it's also spilling from lives of other people now in your, yes. into your life. It's not just your lineage. It's also the lineage of love that shows up to your friends. Yes. Friends are family. Yes. If you want them to be. You know, uh, it used to be that family was determined strictly by a tribe. Uh, but now we are, everything is so moving and so many moving pieces that we actually need to make a deliberate choice yes. to, to, to have some friends and neighbors and people we know and treat them as a part of our family. I have a group of people like that in my life and our family does. Uh, when they have a graduation or something like that, or their child has graduation, uh, we don't think like, oh, do I want to go? Mm. That's not a question. I'm going, right? So I just need to rearrange my schedule to get there as yes. though that person is my nephew, yes. as though that person, if you do not, you have to treat people around you as though they're family with that kind of commitment, Yes. right? So that, that you immediately say, no, I'm not making choices here. I am just doing it because they are my family. Yes. If and, and people who are really rich today are people who have made that step from, from bloodline into, the, into, the, into something else that connects you with other people. Yes. Uh, and, and friendship is such an under-researched under and underappreciated value that in ancient times held society together. Um, and I feel it's as important as art or anything in life. I, I mean, there might be, you know, creation, maybe sex and friendship. Like those are the mystical experiences of our lives. Yeah, and that's, well, that's one reason you've been so helpful with this book of mine, because I mean, I don't mean to pile it on here, but you're one of those friends that I count on. 
and you, you know, you always come through, whether it's helping me promote my new book, um, Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet. By the way, that title is meant to provoke because it sounds very traditional. But what the book tells you is that my non-binary friends who are not pair bonded have all this open to them as well because of your definition of family and my definition of parenthood, which is we are all parents of each other. Uh, we are all each other's children's keepers. Um, you know, it, it, this program is produced by my producer, Ernie, and he is a very close friend of mine. And Ernie and I work together on several levels that illustrate what you're talking about. And that is, uh, we work professionally together where he produces this show. But at the same time, um, Ernie's one of those people I get to share my concerns with and and fears and strategies and he vice versa with me so ernie and i have now a kind of a friendship which makes us family as well as a professional relationship and those are the relationships that i have learned to trust and treasure over the years and of course one of the tragedies of getting a little older i'm pushing 70 now believe it or not uh weird to be an age when you thought that was going to be so old and now here you are and you're still you but that's a different discussion um <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I have lost some people like Holly Mead, the illustrator, my dear, dear friend, and all these other people. Well, in, you know, in the in, in new friends like Ernie, who's younger than me, um, and I hope he outlives me by many years. Chances are he will. Um, but if you have gotten into that habit of making the people close to you real family, um, then you never lose those who you lose because your habit in new friendship is you have developed a habit of going very deep with people instead of a lot of trivial relationships. And those people you hold close become family. And the great one of the great things I learn as I go forward that I'd rather be a, a grandfather than a careerist and so forth. Another thing I've learned is that it's imperative to fill that gap when you lose people. I, when I was younger, I didn't know that was gonna happen, but there's about five people now who are gone that I have outlived weirdly or who were a little older than me that I was very close to. And I always had this feeling, oh, this is going to be horrible. They will go away and I'm going to be this old, older person lonely because those I'm closest to have gone. Mm -hmm. I don't fear that anymore because I don't know how old Ernie is. He looks like he's 10 or something, but I think he's middle-aged. I mean, mm -hmm. I actually don't know how old he is, but uh, he's, so, he's younger than me. He feels younger than me. Yet here's somebody of a different generation or my grandchild, Lucy, she's 12. But Lucy's also, besides family, she's a best friend. So that fear of generational loss is irrational if you are ready to reach out to people and make them your family. Because uh. the generation, the age, gay, straight, non-binary, black, white, doesn't matter at that point because you have a habit of doing what you're talking about. I don't know if I've expressed yeah. that. Oh, no, it's it's perfect. The, the way the way uh, to kind of operationalize that insight, uh, you know, that I help people with is uh, who are you practicing of becoming? Yes. You're not going to become who you really want to become. You're not going to become what you believe. You're not going to become what's your vision. Yes. Uh, uh, what you are motivated to become, none of these things you will become. You will become who you are practicing of becoming, mm, right? Like so, so for example, if you are like I heard of this woman, she's she wants to be ar archaeologist, you know, in Arizona, and and yeah. she's like in business and dot com company, and she's working, and she said, 
well, if I, you know, work for 15 years, I'm going to do the dot-com thing, and then I'm going to do archaeology. Now, the question for her is, how do you know that after 15 years, you will be capable and interested in archaeology at all? Because you're practicing for 15 years, not caring about things and not doing what you need to do. Mm -hmm. it's, it is like we will come to the end of our lives and we think something will happen. You know, we will kind of like, we'll have an insight, we'll get mature, you know, we will, something will occur to us, there will be revelation coming to us, you know, I'll become like Frank one day, you know. Uh, but what happens at the end, you open, towards the end, you open the door and it's a mirror. Mm -hmm. It's a mirror just showing who you, what, who you have been practicing being. Yeah. Right. And if you are practicing letting people in your life and having commitment and having these relationships, that's how your life is going to end mm. with people. Right. Yeah. I think that's lovely. And 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 there is no way around that. Yeah. Just yeah. look who we are, what, what you practice in daily life. Mm. And this is who you're going to be. You know, I feel that that particularly we make that mistake when we're younger of thinking that you have steps in your life to get to your real life. So you, you're right. I'm in college now. This is just a step. And in college, I've decided to to sort of have the college experience. It's not who I really want to be because it's not serious. Maybe I'm sleeping with more people than I thought I would at some point or nobody at all. <laughs> Whatever. I'm having this college experience. And then later I'll meet the person that'll all work out. Mm -hmm. I have a better sexual life and then we'll have a real relationship, even though right now my relationships are trivial or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. you're, you're very right, because I think the people who get the furthest in life are the people who through luck, because they marry genie in my case, even though, you know, you're pregnant teens or through wisdom that grows over the years or whatever, eventually adopt just what you've said. And I often feel that, you know, sometimes I'll get a, an email from someone who says, I'm thinking of becoming a writer. How do you get an agent? And I email back and I say, did you, you know, did you get up and write this morning? Um, because <laughs> the way you become a writer is by getting up every morning and yes, writing. by not calling yourself writer. That's, That's right. Not true. Or, or you meet someone that says to you, "Hey, you've been married fifty-one years. How, how do you have a relationship that works like that?" And of course, there's a lot of jokes you could say back. But in, in all seriousness, it's that: Are you taking whatever relationships you're in now seriously and working at them? Because mm -hmm. if you trivialize any area of your life, whether it's sexuality or relationships, and then expect to turn a corner at some age, like okay, I'm 30 now, I'll be, you have lost the habit of how to do well in that area. Same thing with manners. And I think one of the great things that you know, you know, and I know as we go on in life that you learn about people is those things you find out about someone that they have done that are not advertised so that you just happen to learn that, you know, here's a person who, you know, always tips the maid in a hotel and leaves cash for her and a little note. So, you know, that says far more than, say, building a rocket ship and going to space because you're a billionaire. Oh, you're in the habit of being the kind of person you'd want to be stuck with. And I think, you know, the golden rule there is not only treat your neighbor as yourself, but it's to ask a really basic question. And I ask this of myself all the time, which is one reason I'm a better human now than the the young uh, misogynistic idiot that married my wife, Jeannie, when we were teenagers and I was mm -hmm. this Calvinist Christian. Am I the kind of person I'd like to be living with? It's a really mm -hmm. simple question. Yeah. And, you know, and, and if you can start answering that truthfully, you can get somewhere. And that's that habit you're talking about.
Mm-hmm. You, I mean, your life has been very sort of explosive. It's very sort of like, I, I, yeah, I think like you have 12 lives, you know, crammed into one. And, and you're a very intense person, right? Like to be with you is to like not waste a second on anything except to live right here and now and go deep. And my family knows you like that, like you are intense in the best possible you know way of of the of of you know of what it means to live fully and and i forgot what i was going to tell you about it but but the the practice of it the 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 trust of it yeah the it is something that um uh you know it's it's often we feel like there is a we need to have a goal for our lives right Mm -hmm. And uh, and instead of kind of living that we'll arrive one day, how about coming from that place? Yeah. So that's the difference between goal and intention. Where you're coming from, right? And yes, what I was going to tell you is the, 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 the issue of self-compassion. Do I like my own company? Mm-hmm. Like, can I enjoy my own company? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think sometimes people enjoy our company more than we enjoy our own. But learning to in, be in our own presence is a really great skill. And what is also counterintuitive in, skill is to, as you know, spiritual traditions say, do things in secret. Meaning, build your habit when nobody is watching and don't tell anybody. Which is, goes against Facebook, against all this sort of like a expo, exposed life that we're yeah. supposed to, to live today. Uh, and I, I neglected that for too long. I, I, I didn't take that seriously. And this is one of the big regrets I have, that I have neglected to take seriously all the advice that I, that I got is who you are becoming on your own is actually who you will be. Mm-hmm. Not what you accomplish and what you do and how you appear. Right? Don't waste your energy on appearance. Waste yeah. your energy, use your energy on substance. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, just pause here to remind people you're watching a Facebook Live event, which is uh, discussions with Frank Schaefer, a discussion, a conversation, not a discussion, a conversation with Frank Schaefer. This is also a podcast. Please like the various sites you find it on if you do like it. I'm talking to Samir, a very dear friend of mine. Uh, I read a quote from a book that I'm publishing in November, comes out November 2nd, fall in love, have children, stay put, save the planet, be happy. And um, that's what it looks like. I've got a poster of the book up behind me. Samir's been a big part of this project. Samir, here's my copy. Uh, you, you have a copy too. Now it's not actually print. These are advanced copies for, for uh, reviewers and Samir's got one. Um, Samir, take a minute and, and jump into another thing here and talk about all the nice things you're doing to help promote the book. You're doing some New York events and you've written and asked some people, you've gotten some podcasters involved. Just give me, give me two minutes here of, of some of that, just so that I can um, tell folks what a good friend you are, but also just talk about the context of actually trying to promote a real live book that's coming out rather than just the ideas. Now here's, I've written down some of the things we're talking about in terms of the primacy of relationships redefinition of success not being job oriented but life and relationship oriented that we've got to refocus especially post-covid and so on 
So you can just talk about a little bit of what, what you're doing for this project and how we've intersected on it. I I really, uh, you know, you, you have written many books, but, but this is the one that really, you know, um, awakes me and, and keeps me alive. And I feel like this is the conversation that is either either the right time has come for this conversation or it's about 10 years too early. You know, it's somewhere there, right? Yeah. Uh, and people who are engaging in this conversation and engaging conversation about the future more than in anything else, because we have been kept from our from paying attention to our ordinary life, uh, being told that we are never enough, that we need to have a control of everything around us in order to feel safe in this world. Uh, and we have been indoctrinated um, through so on so many levels. I'm not, not talking just politics and economy and all of that. It, it seeps through everything, right, into our lives. And you are, you basically have taken the doors down of the building and there is no any more fixing it. And, uh, you know, and there's no way back anymore. You cannot unexperience and unsee what you are helping us experiencing and see. And it's so interesting, it's not just you, it's kind of an emerging thing that ha it's happening all around. I mean, go to news, go to like some other books that are coming out with this topic. It is, we have the rebellion now under our hands, a revolution. Like, I do not want to, I want to live, I don't want an artificial urgency anymore. I don't want a made up complexity of things. I want to just simply live a life I can call my own. That's all I want normal life I can call this was my life right and Van Gogh was saying you know like I am an ordinary person they call me I'm just kind of stupid and ordinary well I'll paint and I'll, I'll do it doesn't matter if people like it or not I'm just gonna show them what an ordinary person is like mm -hmm. like that was his in a letter to his brother Theo you know Walt Whitman said also like if what I'm saying is not true for everybody, if this is not ordinary thing, what I'm saying as a Walt Whitman, I'm saying nothing. It's worthless, yeah. right? So this thing about special people and about our don't be average, don't be ordinary, it's a statement of judgment to everybody whom we compare ourselves with. What's yeah. wrong with being average and ordinary? Yeah, That's what's beautiful about it, that we are all like, it's amazing, right? That's what it is amazing. And I feel like this conversation is so important. And so in New York, we organized one event, but we'll have one in October. And those of you who are interested really to help promote Frank's work and have a capacity to, to do so, you just contact me and, and we can get you connected and be part of that conversation. And you can come to New York and, and be uh, um, and conspire, you know, some, some goodness that way. Um, and also, I want to invite those of you who are who know Frank uh, to pre-order the book. That's the one thing you can do. Just pre-order one for yourself, one for your friend, and one for your enemy. Like three copies. <laughs> and, uh, and then um, just participate with us because it is stunning how little is needed for Neil to move. Uh, if simple and ordinary people like ourselves take action. Mm -hmm. uh, this is where a lot of things actually stop, about grandiose thinking and not making small steps. 
Um, so I want to invite those of you. I'm going to get the book and give it to um, to my daughters as a gift. I, this is, will be my book for everybody, and you know, for Christmas. <laughs> uh, and uh, so why not do that? It's just um, it's just uh, uh, one of these things yeah. that that is so deeply felt in my daily life, but also in a life of like head and ideas and. Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that I wrote, you know, I, I spent five years working on this project. And during that five years before COVID hit, I was spending quite a bit of time with you in your apartment in New York and writing sections of this early in the morning at, at literally at your kitchen table, having been eating meals that you served, having been with you and your daughters and your wife um, as your guest, and then having you here. So you and I have actually this, you know, you help fertilize this project through your friendship, as I've said before, so that, um, you know, when I have conversations about this book with a lot of other people, um, you know, they weren't in on developing the ideas, but I think observing what you were doing and what you were saying and the, all the meetings we did together, we did a retreat uh, together that you brought me to as one of your speakers, a lot of your life philosophy of 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 really putting the human relationships in our lives first and not being dominated by career aspiration and so forth has bled into this book so a lot of a lot of what you say is here not because uh you know for no other reason but except personally i've observed how you've lived and have been very inspired by that you're one of the people that i look to as an example of yeah this is someone who knows how to live uh the people in their in your life love you um, starting with your wife and your children. To be a guest in your home is to be cared for in a way that is uh, extraordinary and kind. And, um, you know, every time I have a contact with you, Samir, I come away feeling more complete. And there aren't very many relationships like that in your life that don't, that don't somehow inadvertently, even if it's not on purpose, put you down by, by sort of telling you all this great stuff they're doing and i i gotta tell you one of the reasons in in fall in love uh, have children stay put save the planet be happy one of the things i've tried to do in that is share enough about myself so they know what a pain in the ass i am uh what an asshole i have been and trying to grow past some of that so that it's not a question of oh look here how's the way to do it it's that hey if i can understand some of this stuff and tell you the truth about who i am and what i've done that i'm ashamed of in the past everything from the you know formation of the religious right to uh how i treated my wife and children coming out of that calvinist background as a domineering misogynist in charge of everything i think there's hope in sharing the reality of our own deficits too and just putting it on the table and just saying hey this book is not coming from a place of total knowledge or great wisdom it's coming from a broken place that has been able to build in spite of that, which I think offers a lot more hope than just presenting solutions all the time. Yeah, I mean, I remember, Frank, like when we met each other, you were just always such a fascinating person. And at one point I was thinking, oh, he's keep telling this story about his past and this is kind of his shtick, you know, this is kind of like, that's his story, his intro, he always talks about it. And, and it's, it's, yeah, it's a great story for, a, for an author and a thinker to have and put out there and I was judgmental I was thinking I mean not just mental I just realized in, in the past I was thinking oh this is this is useful story for your for who you are right now mm. but then later I realized no Frank is really suffering mm. 
I mean, you really feel guilt and shame and anger and, and you feel like it's hard to bear because the scale of, of the impact that you had, that you are talking about, especially in the movie that's coming up, is just uh, so vast and it's so hard to, uh, to cross that threshold of, of coming to a new place. And I, I think your, wound is, your, your uh, wound is now a scar you know it's kind of healed and it serves a purpose for for, yeah. for a lot of us you yeah. know but but that your body like you have a food poisoning you know it never forgets yeah right 20 years later if you poison yourself with the egg you cannot touch the egg yeah you you have bodily memory of what has been done hmm. right and you cannot lose it doesn't matter how much you you are past it yeah. right yeah and and um, and I, I I really love your invitation to to pay attention to your own vulnerability and pain, because mm. that's the only way to have empathy in this world. Mm. You have to suffer. Suffering is necessary. Yeah. In order for us to be able to love people, mm. because because if I do not suffer, I cannot have empathy for anyone. And without empathy, there is there is no there is no so so when you're parenting i see my children suffering i remember my daughters went to boston to uh, my older one to boston college and and we that's why we visited with you often and uh uh and she would like i remember when she first spent all her money and said what did you buy last so i bought sushi i said and you and you don't have money she said right right well i don't have soap i don't have this i don't have that and i was on the phone and i said like it was so painful yeah, how are you gonna deal with that? And I'm like, of course I can write a check for $100 or $500 and send it off. No, I'm just like, yeah, tough. Yeah, tell me, tell me how you're gonna solve that. I, 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 I'm not coming up with any ideas right now. Maybe you can ask your you know, roommate to borrow things until you get in shape. And you can see, I'm sinking into the ground. I'm feeling like I'm betraying the person I love the most in the world, right? And she's she's taking that and she's moving on, and that's why she loves well now. That's why you know. So it's 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 all a part of a part of this wholeness and and life. Both you know, even darkness holds us. You know, even even that is uh, on our side. Even night is for us. I think uh, one of the things that both of us feel and that I talk about in the book a lot and that I've heard you speak on in other contexts is this idea that if we're trying to get back to square one and how to rebuild something and really start a revolution that changes our culture, where our values are not being dictated to us by shareholders and billionaires and Wall Street. Mm -hmm. The first thing we've got to do is redefine our personal and national idea of what the word success means. So if we define the word success as a job description or where you went to college, uh, if we define it by the ability to have power over others, we come up with a culture that is consumeristic, ugly, heartless, and loses empathy. In other words, modern America that hates children and families, talks pro-life values and pro-family, and yet you say, well, Where's the tax money being spent? It's not, it's being spent on oil companies. It's not being spent on single moms and giving them an alternative. It's not being spent on helping parents so one of them can stay home and care for preschool aged children. It's not being spent on providing days, 
nurseries in corporations that are run by people who do art and music and fantastic things with children. We have not put our money where our mouth is. So we talk family values, but they're fake family values because our idea of success is corporate America shareholder success. If it was human relationship success, there would be no impoverished people with who were single parents because everybody would be in a program of sustainability and care that would nourish them. We would not have people having to choose between having an abortion or going broke as a single mom. We would not have to have parents who agonize over how they're gonna arrange childcare. We would be living in an entirely different looking culture, which is the one I'm calling for in the book. But it begins by trying to define what we mean by success. Personal life, success in quality of our relationships, friendships, family, corporate American life in terms of success of the fact that literally we're not leaving anybody behind and that we have actual family values. And I think that's something both of us struggle for. Yeah, I, I just that's just so, so resonates with me. I, I, I've been in agony coming to United States and seeing uh, uh, seeing like unnecessary suffering that is happening from people who distrust their communal self. Mm. It's it's America has a form of self-hatred and yeah. a desire for its own death because it's treating uh, like we are all when we are greedy and we are individuals we are our best but when we come together suddenly we are all evil right I mean Americans will forgive Enron in a heartbeat but they will not forget the State Department when they make a mistake yeah they would not forget the government to make a mistake government has a you know like companies they destroy lives on a massive scale all the time every day and nobody's saying oh my goodness we should do away with companies right it is such a bias against uh, the trauma of the cold war mm. that everything that is starts with c-o-m-m -M, compassion community communication all of that is communism <laughs> yeah. right like so, so now you have this cynical stand that everything that requires for you to connect, to feel, to be here, to relate, you don't have to do. You just call it communism, right? You call it something. Or socialism. Yeah, or socialism, whatever. You, you just do it. But for a lot of American Christians, there is no imagination. It is basically capitalism and then heaven. Yeah. There's and, no... and these same people, by the way, talk about family values, but of course, they have eliminated any chance to have families at all in this country, because the real message of American culture is you're on your own, buddy. And then, of course, that yes. gets deified in a kind of an individualistic approach to life. You're never on your own. You've never been so... on your own. Right. Yeah. So it's a lie, because, of course, no one survives that way, actually. But we try to push it in that direction of individualism rather than any kind of community. Yeah. And individualism is definitely important, and it's important because it's in the context of a caring community. You cannot be yourself and be who you are in a community that doesn't care yeah. and, and, and accepts these differences. So, interestingly enough, if you are just focused on individualism, you get monoculture. Hmm. Because everybody needs to fit. Yeah. Right? But if you have a community, you're allowing for 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 a vast diversity, you know, within it because you, you are safe if you are different mm. uh, because there's a system of care. Right. And uh, the, the level of expectations of what we as a communal self, the government, the citizenry can do for each other is so low here. 
I mean, we are like Neanderthal level, right? Mm -hmm. People like what you are, not, what's not accessible in the United States is just so unnecessary. It would be like saying, oh, let's do away with stoplights because they cost money. I mean, try to do that, right? There's so many things that we have not done that would elevate everything instantly with the minimum investment, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and uh, and I don't know why that is not done. It's it's a long conversation, obviously, and uh, and 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 the stakes are so high with the planet and everything else. But I think there is a there is a good movement towards this, you know, giving up. Uh, uh, this kind of a uh, American nightmare that individualism and yeah it's something exactly. both of us have pushed for so Samir before we go I just want to remind people that if they go to www.mysticturn.com you will get in touch with Samir easily and if you're looking for some advice and some life coaching there is nobody better that I know of personally or just know of than Samir so really if you need some help contact Samir because he, he has great wisdom, great knowledge, and can be very practical, teach you to cook along the way um, as a really great chef on top of that. And um, Samir, thank you for all your help in promoting my new book when it comes out November 2nd, everything that you're doing, have done, will do. Thank you again for the great quotes in the book that you've let me put in there. Uh, do you have any last word in terms of how people can get in touch with you and what you can do for them if they do in the area of life coaching? Well, I am really uh, bent on trying uh, to help people find answers they cannot Google, uh, that corporations don't talk about, corporate workshops will not tell you, and uh, religions don't have those answers. Yeah. Uh, and. Um, and live a life that is larger than what you can control. Hmm. Because control our sense of fear in, of being alive in this world and the society that is put on us is, is, is driving us to have more things that we can control and less things that we cannot control. But it is when we are not in control that we live fully. Think of dating, think of art, think of humor. All of these things are something you cannot control. And they're beautiful uh, so it's a form of freedom to be able to embrace that kind of uh, uncertainty uh, our fears are in the unknown but so are all of our future joys um, and all of the beauty things that are coming are, is also in that unknown so that's where I try to take people and that's a mystic turn you know to want towards the, the unknown I love uh, that. that I invite to people so um, yeah uh, and I hope we all stay in touch all of us help uh, and participate in what Frank is participating in. It's a it's a movement larger than than any one of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, if if you are up for if you have some ideas, you can contact Frank or contact me. Uh, and uh, pre-order, you know, thank Christmas Thanks. gifts, thanks birthdays, uh, because this is a this is a also another form of a jailbreak. Uh, this book is. Thank you, Samir. And the pre-ordering does really help because it's a weird world where even the independent bookstores and the reviewers look to Amazon's pre-order numbers to decide if some book is going to do well and should be taken seriously. So it's very strange um, that we find ourselves in that position. But thank you if you do pre-order the book, one or two copies, it would really help the project. And Samir, thank you so much 
for spending the time today. And please, people, go to mysticturn.com and contact Samir if you need some life coaching. We just want to be in touch with him about any of the projects we've talked about. And uh, I appreciate everyone watching here on Facebook. Please like the page and please go to YouTube if you want to watch this as a recording or back on Facebook or to my podcast uh, where this and many other good guests um, that we've had these great conversations with every week are appearing. Thank you. And Samir, thanks a lot. Take care. See you out Thank there. You, Frank. Much love. Sending you love. Bye. Thank you. Bye. In Conversation with Frank Schaefer is a production of the George Bailey Morality and Public Life Fellowship. It is produced by Ernie Gregg and hosted by Frank Schaefer, author of Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet, Be Happy, a post-pandemic blueprint for rebalancing work and family in favor of love and living. To learn more and support the show, please visit lovechildrenplanet.com.